Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Season 3 of Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams, and with me is Jenny Dillon. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Jen. Good. Hey, we're both horticulturists and gardeners, and in every episode, we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season, and taking a look at what's hot and what's not. But most importantly, how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. Okay, Adam. So what are we going to talk about today? Hey, this episode, I reckon we need to talk about feeding your garden. We do. Gardens this waking up. It's had a long hibernation and it's hungry. And then it's that time of year. We've got to have a bit of a chat about lawns too. Oh, yeah. So with no time to waste, let's get into spring garden feeding. Well, you know what? It's really, really important for Australian gardens to, to, to look at this hard. Australia is one of the oldest continents in the world. Most of the plants in our garden are exotics. They come from countries where the soil is relatively young. Our soil is old. It's really depleted and it does need that extra food to make those flowers and trees look fantastic. Well, the, and it, it creates an interesting conundrum, doesn't it? Because our soils are naturally what they technically describe, as you said, as depleted. They're, they're often also called skeletal soils because they're very uh, thin soils. And mm. unlike European soils, they're not self-replenishing. So what we have basically is what we have. So we, mm. if it goes away, it goes away. And we do predominantly tend to grow uh, exotic plants, many of which have higher nutrient demands than what our soils can naturally deliver. So fertilizing is one of those things we need to do. But Having the sort of fragile environment that we have also means we need to be very careful about how we fertilise and make sure we're fertilising in the right ways so that mm-hmm. we're not potentially doing harm to a lot of our native plants, which have evolved to not like a lot of nutrients. So there's a few little confusing aspects in there, isn't there, that you yeah. need to take into account. It's complicated. It is. It is. I'd like to think of spring feeding as being breakfast for your garden. Yes, it is. And it's got to be quick. It's got to, it's, you know, I think this is where you look at a fertilizer, like liquid fertilizer, because it just immediately gives them the boost that they need. They've been asleep for a long time and they want to grow. They do need a, a, a quick kick is really what it yeah. comes down to. Um, it, it, it's interesting. Some people say, oh, well, you know, foliar feeding doesn't really do that much. And that's where you're applying a fertilizer that's on the leaves and then the plants suck it up. And, and people sometimes have trouble understanding the mechanism behind that. But I'll tell you something very interesting. Mm-hmm. Foliar feeding is, in fact, a very natural process because our atmosphere is filled up with a lot of nitrogen in a gas form because Mm -hmm. nitrogen is is very volatile. When you get a thunderstorm, what happens is the lightning actually fixes that nitrogen to the droplets of water. And the water in uh, the raindrops in a rainstorm actually become, in a thunderstorm, become 
liquid fertilizer. And you'll notice that when after a big a summer thunderstorm in particular, you look at the garden and you think, wow, it looks so bright green. It looks it so looks lovely. It looks so different. It's yeah. amazing. And it's, isn't it? it's not just the fact that the raindrops have knocked the dust off the leaves. It's yeah. the fact that they have in fact had a quick liquid feed from yes. that, that liquid nitrogen that's naturally mm. been fixed out of the air. So foliar feeding is one of the most natural things you can possibly do. And it's a great way to wake your plants up. But mm-hmm. I think it's important too to have a look at the the different types of fertilizers because there is it's very easy to become confused about about the different types and I think our three main categories we need to to think about there's the the typical old school granular fertilizers so the the stuff that's very rarely used anymore things like superphosphate and stuff like that um, there's a slow release fertilizer and then that's not to be confused with a controlled release mm, fertilizer they're quite different yeah. mm. I tend to look at it like have you ever seen that episode of Mr. Bean where he's painting a room and he just sticks a stick of dynamite into a tin of paint and he tries to <laughs> paint the room that way? No, the only one I can remember <laughs> is the turkey one, I think, <laughs> the Christmas turkey. Well, that, that approach of, of just basically, you know, grabbing a bucket of paint and throwing it at a wall and hoping that it gets painted mm. is kind of like what it's like using these old school fertilisers. Yeah. You're basically, you're putting an enormous amount of fertiliser onto the soil and hoping that the plants suck some of it up. Mm. And that's where it's important to move away from those old school fertilisers and look at as a minimum a slow release and then preferably use a control release fertiliser. Yeah. Well, you you also run the risk of burning the plants with this old-fashioned method because there's no control over it. Mm. And and it's also where you end up with a lot of runoff into into the local environment, local creeks. Which is not a good thing. Ending up on the beach and algal blooms and all Mm. that sort of stuff. But now slow release – it's as the name exactly implies that the, the fertilizer is going to break down over a slow period, over a, a set time. But the, the well, I shouldn't say a set time, over a period of time. Okay. The fact is with slow release that it will be very, very heavily impacted by the amount of rain, the amount of humidity, all sorts of different things. So it, it might release very quickly. It might release relatively slowly. The reason I tend to bias towards control release, and and we were having a chat off mic about this before, is that controlled release responds totally to the environment, and that's the that's the real beauty of those fertilisers, isn't it? Mm, mm. Yeah, the the way they act, it's basically they don't release nutrients until the right level of humidity is reached, until the right level of temperature, temperature. is reached, yeah. and then they just basically trickle feed very small amounts of nutrients out. So what you're effectively doing is only releasing nutrients at the time that the plants are growing. And which when, is, when they need it the most. Yes. I think there's, it's also important to bring up at this point in time um, the seaweed. There's a lot of confusion out there. People think that seaweed uh, is... Fertilizer. Mm, mm. It's not. It's a tonic. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard even some relatively professional people say, "Oh, give it a good feed with some seaweed." No, seaweeds are exactly they're tonics. They stimulate activity in the soil, which is very beneficial. And yeah. this is this is where it's important to to think about fertilizer as as and about feeding your plants as much as feeding your soil. So you're taking the the bottom up approach rather than the top down top down is just dropping those nutrients on the soil hoping some of them stick whereas mm. bottom bottom up you're actually looking after your soil 
because, and I think this is what's poorly understood too, is that you put fertilizer down, those nutrients, the plants don't just go, oh, goody, and, and suck them up. They actually have to be converted by all of those that biological activity, activity in the soil. Oh. So that's, that's everything from bacteria to microbes to nematodes to all sorts of things. They actually feed on those nutrients and then emit different compounds that the plants can pick up. So yeah. it's, a, it's a very complicated cycle for how those nutrients get into your plants. So it is very important to feed your plants. And that's where I often recommend to people put down your control to list fertilizer and then water it in with a, a seaweed tonic. And that's helping to stimulate that soil activity yeah. and maximize the uptake of all those nutrients. Yep, that's so right. And, you know, good, good soil is full of all those little creatures mm. that absolutely need them. It's like a little community of workers doing all sorts of different things down there. And the, the benefits from making sure you have healthy soil are just incredible. You know, for a start, you get improved plant growth. You get better resistance to, to pests and diseases. And very importantly, they are the things that really help to improve water penetration and retention in the soil. Because if you have all that organic activity or that organic matter being developed in the soil, then you are getting better use of all that moisture that's uh, falling either through you watering or through rain. Yeah, and because they can only do that by digging through and creating this underworld tunnel, this underworld city with roads and highways and little mm. lanes and byways ways that we don't see, but they do, and they're just making passages for air and water. And it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible what goes on. And there's also a lot of things happen with, with symbiotic relationships in the soil between different fungi and all sorts of different things happening in the soil that are effectively creating the uptake of the, the nutrients, as I said, but also creating this, you know, micro community that's going on underground. Realistically, there are, there are more organisms living below ground in your soil than are happening above ground and that's the that's the thing that we need to get in our mind that when you're feeding think about feeding your soil not just feeding your plants and of course this sort of feeding is just as important for your lawn isn't it jen oh yeah you may not have been mowing much over winter, but it is certainly letting you know about it right now. It's just starting to kick back in after its winter slumber. And there are a few things you need to do to get your lawn looking good, particularly if you want it to survive over a long, hot summer. Yeah, but you see, while your lawn's been sleeping, somebody else hasn't been, and that's the weeds. <laughs> you know, you, the weeds, are, this time of the year, they're just going gangbusters because you've got bare patches in your lawn you haven't been out there looking at what things are doing. And the first thing you've got to do, I think, with the lawn, well, there's two things you've got to do, weed, then feed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And that's the interesting thing with weeds is that weeds bring weeds. That's that's the reality, particularly in your lawn, because your lawn is so dormant across winter, the weeds spread, they kill off a patch of lawn, mm -hmm. you end up with those classic dead patches, which then creates the perfect open area for the next round of weeds next to come in, who <laughs> then spread, and it gets bigger and bigger. And so yeah. it is very, very important to get on top of it. I must admit, I am big on manual weeding. I do, I do prefer to hand weed things like this, because it, the vast majority of stuff you get into lawns, unless, of course, you're dealing with a very big lawn, the vast majority of stuff you get in lawns, you can get out of the ground quite easily by hand with a with a daisy grubber or with one of those long-handled um, weed removers that are very useful for getting mm. those, those particularly the, the taproot-type weeds out like the dandelions and the cat's ears and things well, like that. Even if you can't get those roots out, just pull off the leaves because without photosynthesizing, you know, 
felt okay, produced new leaves, but some of those tap roots, if you don't have the the proper gear, mm. are hard to get out. Yeah. But the leaves are a good start. Have you ever had to deal with onion weed in the lawn? Don't talk to me about it. Terrible onion stuff. Weed. I remember someone said to me once years ago, there are two ways to deal with onion weed that are 100% effective. Nuclear? No. You either learn to like it or you, <laughs> or you move. <laughs> no, I think I'm winning the battle. I think I'm winning the battle. And I just, you know, it's every time I pass one of those little leaves, out it comes yeah. and keep going. And you just starve those you, little bulbs. That's exactly right. You eventually exhaust it when you're doing it that way. And yeah. that's how you can. With just those make ones sure they don't flower. To get it. Yeah. Just make sure that it get up flower. Exactly right. Mm. Now, feeding, of course, is an important thing. So after you've done that bit of weeding, you get a, a good quality fertilizer down, uh, preferably one of the ones that's going to last for a few months. Mm-hmm. And I must say, if you did the right thing and you fed in late autumn or early winter, your lawn is likely to be looking a lot better now. And that's yeah. where you, you really do see the difference of that benefit is how quickly your lawn back bounces back after winter. That, that to me, is one of the biggest advantages. Really, you should see the effect within a day or two. Yes. Well, and, and there there are, in fact, now some great fertilisers you can put on that are a, a slow-release lawn fertiliser, but they have a quick-release component that is one that won't actually run to nutrient runoff and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can green up within about three days just by applying it and, and watering it in. Um, if if people want as well, of course, there's some good quality hose-on fertilisers if they're not big on putting granular stuff around. So there are some hose-ons that have a not, not a slow release, but they have an extended feeding um, pattern. So they, they can give you a, a good feed over a, at least a, a month or so. So. And they have a um, um, an amount of, of iron in them that which which helps with the greening. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's that's a greater benefit than when you have too much nitrogen because the nitrogen does tend to uh, lend plants to flushing a lot. So you get that that weak growth. So you mm. want to avoid that that weak surge growth. You want to get strong growth and nice good green growth. Now, when it comes to mowing at this time of year, I'm I'm a big fan of mulch mowing. To me, mulch mowing is one of the the best things you can ever do to your lawn. It's just basically, it's like lightly organically feeding your lawn every time you mow. But I really do kind of like to keep the catcher on still at this time of year because of the fact the lawn hasn't quite started moving and hasn't completely kicked over yet. And there's always a risk when when you're mowing and mulch mowing that those little tiny micro little bits of grass that are left, if they're left on the lawn and the lawn stays too wet or it's still too cold, then that can lead to rots and funguses. Mm -hmm. And there is a little bit of a risk of that happening at this time Mm -hmm. of year. But it's also worth it because your catcher will clean a lot of that stuff off the lawn that's that's making it look messy. So this this is probably the last time of year you'd mow with a catcher on. As soon as it gets warmer, then you, you're mowing with the catcher off and you, you're mulch mowing across the rest of the warmer months. And dead patches. I mean, if you've had weeds and you've got some of those dead patches, it's a good time to deal with those too, isn't it, Jen? Yeah. And quite often, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why you, you get those those patches. You know, your grass is not healthy and you've just got to sort of um, wait for it to grow depending on what sort of grass you have. But quite often, like if it's if it's constantly um, not growing properly, then you've got to look at other factors. It might be too much traffic, mm. It like foot traffic. Not um, bulldozers. Um, <laughs> it could be in the shade, in which case you might consider putting down a shade-loving ground cover. That sort of, you know, makes a point of difference on your lawn. 
And if it's compaction, just remember to aerate it. Mm. Which is, of course, it's easy to do. I mean, people hear that expression, they think, oh, that's going to be difficult. But really, you can simply do that with a garden fork. If it's just a small area, push your garden fork in about five centimetres or so, rock it back and forth to open up some some little holes in the soil, and then do that about five or eight centimetres apart just across the the impacted area. And if you want to improve the, the benefit of that, get some dry washed river sand and then gently rake that over the area. So that will fill those voids up and yes. it will make sure they stay open because if you just leave them as open holes, people walk on it and they close back up again and you've yes. done nothing. So rake some nice dry, some good quality washed river sand into that. But also if it's if it's you know part of your lawn has been used as a pathway, you know, there's other options that you can think of. One, you could actually put down a pathway. Mm, mm. Or um, put up a barrier like, for example, a small hedge or bush or something. Or a six-foot wall. A six-foot wall. <laughs> You're talking about your neighbours again, aren't you? Um, but just no, something, we have lovely neighbours. Just something psychological to stop people taking that shortcut yeah. across the lawn. But if you do have patchy spots that need to be fixed, sometimes, I mean, you can do a little bit of patch fixing, you know, you might just get a roll of turf to fix that spot that's been a bit difficult or get some seed and fix Mm. that one spot. But sometimes it comes down to a stage where you're thinking about a new lawn and you need to replace the whole thing. So (gasps) I think we need to talk to a lawn guru and get some advice on the best varieties and how to replace your lawn. What do you reckon? That's a great idea. And Joe Rogers, Lawn Specialist from Lawn Solutions Australia. Welcome, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, now, spring is one of the best times to think about a new lawn. Am I right to say that if people want to lay a new lawn? Yeah, look, you can lay lawns at any time of the year, but spring is definitely the best time to do it. Um, Obviously, everything starts greening up and start growing again during spring, and lawns are no different. It's a perfect time to put a lawn in. Yeah, well, I know as a horticulturalist, and I I, I do have a bit to do with lawns, but I know in the garden in general, it's Mm -hmm. considered as one of the peak times because the soil's just starting to warm up and it hasn't gotten too hot during the day. So I guess those same sort of rules apply when you're looking at putting a lawn down, don't they? Yeah. Just got those ideal conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And the big one you said there was it's not too hot during the day. Uh, Lawns, obviously, when you put them down and they're young, uh, they do need water and they do dry out pretty quickly. So that's why this time of year is great because you you have enough ground temperature so the grass roots in, but not too hot during the day where it dries out super quick as well. Yeah, well, and so many people have got issues with water use at the moment Mm -hmm. too, of course, that you want to make sure that you're not having to get out there you know, morning and night to water it to settle in. And I must admit, that's the beauty I've always found when I've installed lawns or or repaired lawns, that Mm -hmm. when you're putting a seed lawn down, you know, it's a very old school method to do it, but the the amount of follow-up maintenance of having to keep it moist until it well and truly germinates and everything, and that's the big advantage I've found of, of laying lawn by turf rolls is mm-hmm. is it's just, apart from being so much faster, it's instant, and then that follow-up maintenance, as long as you've done your groundwork right, it's it's the best way to be getting a new lawn happening and established, isn't it? Absolutely. You think when you seed a lawn how much exposed dirt you have after seed, and that's just an invitation for weeds to come in. So the good thing about instant lawn is you get a beautiful green lawn straight away, and it's basically a, a natural weed barrier as well. So um, mm. be spot on with the maintenance thing. It's just a little bit of water to get instant lawn going. Where seeds, you've got to pre-emerge, you've got to watch weeds, and you've got to give it a hell of a lot more water than, than instant now, lawns. Now, say somebody's thinking about a new lawn. You know, mm. they've got the they've got the patchy old lawn out the front. Yep. What are some of the key things that they need to consider when they're looking at a new variety to use to lay? 
Sure, sure. There's a couple of key things. Um, the main thing now uh, with with turf variety selection is shades a massive thing. Uh, you look at most housing estates now, the blocks are small, the houses are big. Structure of shade is a really, really big issue. So if anyone's looking to put a new lawn in, I'd, I'd test that out first. I'd have a look around at different times of the day and see how much sunlight is actually on that lawn because uh, you can get shade tolerant varieties and you can get some varieties that are quite the opposite when it comes to shade. So with housing estates and new homes nowadays, um, it'd be something I'd be really looking at. The other key thing when you're looking for a turf variety is how you use your lawn. Um, if it's just a showpiece bit of your yard, it might be um, near an outdoor area where you're sitting on all the time and you just want an area to look beautiful, or it's the, you know, what we call the mullet, the, the business at the front, the party at the back. If it's the real party area at the back, you've got kids and dogs running all over it, then that comes into consideration with turf varieties as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, it's... When somebody comes to lay a lawn, mm. do they need to get the professionals in or do you reckon it's an easy enough DIY task? Um, look, it's like anything. If you want to put the work in, it's an, you know, it is a, a relatively easy task to do. Again, depends on the size of your lawn. If you've got a couple of thousand square meters, you might want to get someone with a, with a bobcat or skid steer to come in and do the work. But look, it is a pretty easy task. The hard bit. And the most important bit is getting your soil structure right. Um, we have a saying where the grass is just a pretty thing on top. The success of the grass all comes down to that 100 to 200 mil beneath it. So if you do that work and you get your soil structure right, laying turf's one of the easier jobs out there. It's a, it's a, trying to think of the word, it's, it's a feel good thing um, when mm. you're turning brown to green. So you put all the hard work in to get the soil structure right, then it's a nice feel good, easy job to actually lay the lawn on top. Yeah. I've got to say, I've always likened it to, um, to laying mulch. It's yeah. got that similar level of satisfaction mm-hmm. that, that you get all the steps right. And it's once you get to the stage of the laying, it's really quite fast. And the end result is just there straight in front of you and you just wow, it just looks incredible. And what are the steps for if somebody was, let's just say somebody wanted to, to rip out their old mess of a front lawn that's all patchy and, and yuck, what, yep. are the, what are the easy steps that someone would go through to put a new lawn down? Sure. For, first thing you want to do is you, remo- you want to remove what's there, uh, whether it's weeds, whether it's a patchy lawn, like you said, you want to get rid of them first. Uh, that can involve spraying them out. Um, I know glyphosate's a funny word nowadays, but that's the product most people use at the moment. But there are alternatives to killing the existing vegetation, which is there. If you don't do this, simple over time, whatever's there is going to just pop back up in your lawn. So it's really, really critical to remove whatever's there. So once you've sprayed it out, then the actual removal process, uh, this can be done with a bobcat or a rotary hoe or if you're keen enough, a, a, a matic and a shovel, um, but that can be quite a tough task. But the vegetation does come out easier once it's sprayed and killed as well. But the main thing is is to remove what's there. And then depending on your existing soil base, if it's quite a heavy soil, like it's really clay, you might actually want to excavate some of it out or add some amendments to that clay base to break it down, such as gypsum. And you also want to look at um, things like heights up against hard surfaces like paths and garden edging. You may have to bring in some soil um, to reach the, the, the heights that you desire. Um, so once you rip out the existing stuff, then you want to yeah you want to bring some soil in. A nice sandy base is good for turf. You don't want to go anything too heavy or mm. or too over nutrients. Garden mixes can sometimes be too heavy. Um, a sandy loam is the best thing you can put under turf because it drains well. It's easy to spread, and grass just seems to ta- well, tack and, on and love and, it. Yeah. And that's the thing too. But a lot of the the garden mixes, I think that's a really important point. People mm. are, would just grab a bag if they were repairing a patch. They might grab yep. a bag of a garden mix or a potting mix, and yep. it's totally the wrong thing to use because mm-hmm. it's got so much organic matter in it. Right. That it compresses down and it breaks down, so you need to have that high sand component. The you know, like the eighty twenties that you get from mm-hmm. landscapers that yep. are that are basically 
primarily sand with a very fine organic component. So that's the that's the best foundation. Yeah, yeah I was just I was about to say eighty twenty or yeah. seventy thirty mix is, is is perfect. The other thing they don't do is they don't compact as easily as heavy garden mixes mm. do. Um, if you use the wrong type of soil, or if you've got a heavy base, an existing heavy clay base, and you don't in, incorporate some some sandy loam, you will get compaction issues over time. And like I said before, it's that top 100, 150 mil where all the hard work's done, the grass is just a pretty thing on top. So if you get a problem down below, your grass won't won't thrive. Mm, absolutely. What are the the quick and easy tips for for once it's actually down on the ground? When it's, it's when's it safe to walk on it? When's sure. it safe to give it its first mow? Those those simple mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Yep. So so lawns are, are pretty vulnerable, like anything are when you harvest them from one environment, move them into another. So you've got to be pretty careful for the first few weeks. Spring's a great time for this, but because over winter when lawns are dormant, they take you know a lot longer to establish because the grass isn't growing. But in springtime, you should get pretty quick establishment. So the main things to do are once you once you lay it out is to water it straight away. Uh, that's the key thing. Um, whenever you you know it's the same with plants. Um, whenever you transplant them or, or replant them, water is critical straight away. Um, one thing you should um, consider doing before you actually install a lawn is lay out a starter fertilizer as well. Just chuck it down on top of the dirt, incorporate it into the soil, and lay the turf on top of that. But otherwise, water for the first couple of weeks. Um, you should be watering once or twice a day uh, for the first week. You've really got to soak that that top layer of soil to get them roots, you know, pushing down into the ground. After that first two week period, you can back it off to once every two days, once every two or three days. We haven't had a lot of it lately, but if you're lucky and you get some rain, you can turn the sprinkler off altogether and let the let the sky do the job for you. After that, when it comes to mowing, um, it depends on the variety. Um, if you get a you know a soft leaf buffalo like Sawalda DNA certified, they generally take with good growing conditions about three to four weeks to root in properly. So mm. a good way to tell before you mow it first is just walk out and just just tug on the slab or the roll that you lay down. If it's not coming up, it's ready for a mow. Whatever grass you have, once you realize it is ready for the mow, start nice and high. Um, don't drop the, your mower deck right down because you'll rip them young roots straight out of the ground. So start nice and high, just that very top of the leaf, and then as it establishes over the coming weeks, you can drop your height down you know, slowly after that. Another big thing to do is is fertilize um, the, you know, on, a, on a new lawn about four to six weeks afterwards. A good rule of thumb we say is after you mow it two or three times, get a bucket or a bag of fertilizer, chuck it out and water it in, and that'll really f- finish off the establishment process for most mm-hmm. lawns. Oh, that's excellent. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for that advice, Joe. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Rogers from Lawn Solutions, uh, there's great advice there. And, and if people want to know more, they can go to the Lawn Solutions webpage, which is lawnsolutions.com.au. Thanks, Joe. No worries. Thank you. Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How are you? Very well, Jen. Yeah. And gorgeous weather we're having. We, we should actually start getting a little bit of rain from about this week on because the planets are actually moving. And, uh, of course, we've got Venus and we've got uh, Mars moving into Libra. That's a semi-fertile sign. And after all this drought that we've had, we should start seeing some change of weather from this week onwards of the 16th right through to the 29th. So hopefully we'll get a, a bit of rain for all those poor farmers out there and for the gardeners, of course. And we need that rain desperately yeah, around the country. that'll be great news. So, Fantastic. So we've got some coming. Mm. Okay, so we have a look at the gardens? Mm. See what we're going to plant? Well, today, the 16th, the moon's in Aries. Now, Aries is a barren sign, but for people there in the garden, you're looking out there and saying, you know, I should transplant that shrub or I should transplant that tree. This is a good day. Monday, the moon is in Aries. So if you want to transplant, you can do that because tomorrow on the 17th, the moon enters into Taurus. 
but it's not until 8.31 in the evening, but that's not a problem. You can transplant on the 16th and the 17th, and you can also plant your below-ground crops this week. The moon's starting to go down. It's, it's waning. So the 17th, 18th, and 19th, that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. So if you want to put your radishes in, yeah. if you want to put potatoes in, if you want to put anything, uh, beets that grow under the ground, mm-hmm. onions, this is the week to plant them. Now, on the Friday, the 20th, the moon enters Gemini at uh, 6.58 in, in, in the morning. Now, that is a barren sign. So I would suggest just do a little bit of watering there and cleaning up in your garden. The same with the 21st, mm-hmm. because um, Friday and Saturday, not good gardening days at all, apart from cleaning up. And definitely no planting on Sunday the 22nd, because that's the last quarter of the moon. So what you should be doing between the 20th and the 22nd is getting all together in your garden, all your sprays that you want to use, um, all your fertilizers, all your compost, get it all ready from the 23rd running right through to the new moon on the 29th. No planting whatsoever oh, there. But okay. what, you, what, you, what you can do whilst the moon is in that last quarter, you get out there and do your, your heavy pruning. Mm-hmm. If you really want to get into some heavy uh, spring pruning, excellent time to do it. Your fruit trees, uh, any your hedges, anything that needs really cut back in a big way. Also, spread your compost out. Excellent for putting your compost and putting your, your straw down. Anything that you want to keep those plants sort of succulent and nice when they're putting water. Mm-hmm. Very good watering all through that week as well. You can sharpen up, dig your garden beds um, and get your garden beds prepared for the 30th because that is going to be a, a, a period where a new moon comes up on the 29th and we're going to have some, we'll talk about planting on that week. Yes. So it's a very, very busy time. And, and of course, don't forget to sharpen up your secateurs and your spades and things like that. Uh, get all your leaves together, make your compost, um, and be careful if you're burning off anything. You should get a permit before you burn because the weather is not, you know, we're going to be in for great fires this year. So we've got to be very, very careful with fire. Now, I've got a little secret for you. Yeah. Gardeners, all those people that have got back lawns and no garden and they can't be really bothered digging up a big garden. So the best thing to do, if you want to have fresh veggies, hop down to the builders down the road that are building a house or go to Bunnings or somewhere, get a pellet, an old wooden pellet, throw it in the back of your trailer, take it back home, get some cloth to put underneath it and just tack it around and uh, you can use shade cloth, actually, under the bottom. Just tack it around the top. Put it down the back of the lawn somewhere. Get a couple of good bags of mix, potty mix. Mm-hmm. Cover the whole thing down those holes and that. Cover it all. And then all you've got to do is plant your lettuce and all your little radishes and things like that in the cracks. And you've got a fabulous little garden for over the summer months. And it's easy to prepare. You don't have to dig up the garden and right. fiddle and diddle. You yeah. know, and you don't get any weeds either. Also, can I just give you a little bit of superstition here too. Yeah. You know, for those people that at home that have their bedroom facing the east, be a little bit careful here because moonlight shining on the marriage bed will bring misfortune. So remember, guys, when you go to bed and if you're going to have a cuddle, make sure those blinds are closed. <laughs> Don't let the moon come in. <laughs> 
Don't let the moon in or the neighbours. That's dead right, because you never know what's going to happen with that moon shining in, Jen. Oh, goodness me, I hate to think. Great, fantastic. Thanks, Milton. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that was another great episode, Jen. What do you reckon? Certainly was, Adam. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Well, the easiest way is to jump onto YouTube and just search Adam Woodhams and they'll find my channel there with all sorts of videos on garden things and DIY and landscape and other odds and ends there. Fantastic. And if you want more garden inspiration before the next episode... Follow us on Instagram. You can find us at VHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, then please take a moment to rate and review the show and don't forget to press that big old subscribe button. It's the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing and make sure you keep on top of every single episode. So we'll see you next time, Jen. You bet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 